0: I'll invite you now, loved ones, to turn in your Bibles to the scripture passage we will consider today from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. We are picking up where we left off a couple weeks ago when we saw how the Apostle Paul called us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might live full lives live life to the fullest and it's good to remember that at this point in the letter here in Ephesians 5 we're we're well into the letter already he has already laid out for us the good news about what God has done for us in Christ and since chapter 4 Paul has been showing us how that gospel truth that reality should change our lives should take root in our lives and bear fruit in and through our lives. You see, the gospel is not something that we believe in and then move on to bigger and better things. No, we must always continually grow in our understanding of the gospel. The gospel is, we could say, kind of a new map that we live in and understand life by. The gospel is kind of like a new software update to our humanity that is preparing us for the new creation. The gospel is kind of a, uh, a mold that we, like clay, are supposed to climb into over and over again to be formed and shaped more and more into the image of Christ. And that's what Paul will get us at here, or get us to here in this passage on a very specific and particular level. The Spirit here is showing us in this passage how the gospel of Jesus is the model for marriage. And so with that, let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. From Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, loved ones, this is the word of the Lord. May the Holy Spirit add his blessing to it as we meditate and consider it now, applying it in our lives. In this passage, we are reminded that God wants the gospel to shape our whole way of life. The goal is to align every aspect and moving part of our life to the reality of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. God does not want our lives to be fragmented so that just a tiny sliver or piece of it is Christian. No. Jesus is not a dead creed simply to live by. He is our living King who calls us to live under His reign of love in every aspect of our life. And so God wants our whole lives to be holy Christians so that we do all things, whatever we think, say, or do under the power of His gospel. And in application of this, Paul first calls all Christians to a style of life marked by humble Submission to one another, and we see that in verse 21. And then, in what follows, Paul lays out for us three different relationships in life where there are roles of authority and submission. First, in our passage today, he lays out the relationship of a wife to her husband, and then in the passage following, he describes children and their parents, and then lastly, masters and their servants, or we could say employers and their subordinates, their employees. But in our passage today, we consider that first relationship, how the gospel is the model for marriage. And in application of that general principle of submission to one another, Paul calls wives to submit to their husbands, and he calls husbands to sacrificially love their wives. And those will be our three points. First, the style of life. Secondly, the submissive love. And thirdly, sacrificial love. So first, that style of life that he's calling us all to. We see that in verse 21. Verse 21, it's kind of a transitional verse in the passage. It serves as a bridge from what came before to what we're finding ourselves in here. The bridge from general commands that that he had for the whole congregation to now specific and particular commands to particular people within the congregation. Led by the Spirit, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That comes to all of us today. It's important that we first grapple with this verse before we look at what follows because it's often the case that we get caught up in the debate and the discussion over how God calls here wives to submit to their husbands. And there's a lot of debate, a lot of heat. Uh, and, and words that are exchanged over that subject. But that particular submission that Paul calls wives to is just one expression of the general style of life that all Christians are called to. In a recent article, literally it came out this week in God's Providence, uh, Michael Kruger, president of uh, Reform Theological Seminary in Charlotte, he writes this, Submission is not a female virtue. It's a Christian virtue. Did you hear that? Submission is not a female virtue. It's a Christian virtue. You see, we need to see that submission is not something that God calls only some of us to, leaving others exempt from the command. No, in different ways, God calls all of us to submit to one another for the sake of Christ. Now, upon hearing that, you might be thinking to yourself, ah, well, that sounds like a modern feminist reading of the text. Well, it's not. It's not at all. Back in the 16th century, for example, the reformer, John Calvin, wrote in his commentary on this passage, God has bound us so strongly to each other that no man ought to endeavor to avoid subjection. And where love reigns, mutual service will be rendered. I do not accept even kings and governors whose very authority is held for the service of the community. It is highly proper that all should be exhorted to be subject to each other in their turn. And in a way, this teaching here is an application of the fifth commandment, right? The command that children would honor their parents and submit to them. Uh, Because God calls all of us to be submissive and respectful to those who have been given authority over us in life. All of us are called to be submissive to each other at different times and in different ways. Nobody, as Calvin said, not even kings or governors or presidents, nobody is accepted from this rule. And why is this vital to understand? Why? Why is it so important to stress this? Because a Christian man who wants his wife to be submissive to him while he himself is not submissive to those that God has given authority to in life over him, that man is a hypocrite. You see that? He's not being consistent. He is not following this Christian principle, this virtue of submission. And so in that same article, Michael Kruger asked some very, really good diagnostic questions uh, that we need to consider Um, and evaluate our own lives. I'll read a couple of them for us. He says, Men, do you show a submissive spirit to your employer? Or do you grumble and complain and undermine your boss's authority? Hmm. Men, do you submit to your church leaders? Or are you a member who regularly kicks against accountability and oversight? Men, do you respect the governing authorities that God has placed over you, regardless of their political affiliation or opinion of their policies? Or do you mock and deride those authorities? These are piercing questions. You see, men in the church and in their homes are first called to lead by example, displaying humble submission to all legitimate authority over them in life. It's not just women and children that are called to be submissive. We are all called to be submissive in turn because submission is a Christian virtue. How so? Why is it Christian? Because this is what the Son of God did for us. Christ himself, Jesus, voluntarily submitted to the Father's will in order to redeem us from sin power and penalty over us in john 4 for example jesus said that this is what he lived for he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work he was submissive to the father's will in all things and throughout his life jesus willfully submitted to the father's authority even in his darkest hour jesus prayed in the garden of gethsemane not my will, but yours be done, submitting that, in that way to the Father's will for him. Submissive love to one another, we see, is the style of life that God has called us to because it reflects the gospel. It is a living picture of Jesus' relationship to the Father and also the church's relationship to Christ. And now, in this passage, of these three relationships, these three authority structures that we find, marriage and then also family with children and their parents and then in business, we see that the husband-and-wife relationship, it gets the most attention by the Apostle Paul as he's working out this principle of mutual submission in the church. And why is that? Why does he lean so heavily into the marriage relationship? Well, for one... It is the most basic and foundational relationship of society, and therefore it is the best starting point to start here, because all other relationships are built, in a sense, upon this foundation. But also, because marriage itself most vividly displays the gospel, it shows us how that virtue of submission and loving service comes from the archetypal love of Christ for his bride. The church, his great love for the church, becomes the driving metaphor for how we understand our roles in marriage. And so it displays the gospel. And we can see that, let me show you in verse, verses 31 through 32 in our passage. If you look there again, he quotes from a foundational passage found in Genesis 2, 24, the very beginning there when God instituted marriage by his design, saying, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then the Apostle Paul, he drops his massive truth bomb, saying, this is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. This means that all the way back in the Garden of Eden, In the very beginning god designed marriage to be a picture of the gospel a picture of how christ would leave his father's side unite himself to the church and become ultimately one flesh with her marriage was always meant to be a picture of the gospel and today as we see marriage on decline and under pressure by our culture People assume that marriage itself is based on outdated traditions of an Anglo-Saxon culture coming from Europe, but in reality we see that a truly Christian view of marriage is based on the historic love of the Son of God for his church. Marriage is God's design, and we see how marriage should work by looking primarily at the gospel itself. And this means that we should always hold every culture's view of marriage up to the light of Christ to see if it lines up with the gospel, with his love for his bride, and with the church's submission to him. And that means even lifting up for evaluation the traditional Christian views on the respective roles of man and woman in marriage. We should not let tradition from men supersede God's word. We must constantly submit to God's word, and let it reform our way of life and understanding of things like marriage. And so, now that Paul has laid down this main principle, this style of life, of submission, mutual submission, he then turns to address in turn wives and then afterwards husbands. And that leads us to our second point, submissive love. And so in verses 22 to 24, Paul addresses wives saying submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit to their own husbands in everything so first a few notes here note that paul does not say that women must submit to all men in general no rather each wife is called to submit to her husband alone so if someone has tried or someone does or tries to use this passage in order to keep women in subjugation to all men in society well they are twisting scripture just like satan does over and over again with scripture the context for this call to submission is in marriage alone where according to god's design the husband is the head of the household and the one therefore appointed with authority to lead so that's one note. Secondly, this call for a wife to submit herself to her husband is ultimately, we see, a call to submit to the Lord. It is to be done in obedience to Christ. That's what Paul says here. So, wives, if you are not, if you are not submissive to your husbands, and you are not fully obeying Christ in your life, but notice also that Paul here he's pulling from the model of the gospel, as we've been saying. To make this application the underlying assumption here in these applications is that marriage is supposed to be that picture of the gospel and as we'll see soon the husband ought to sacrificially love his wife as christ has loved the church and so too a woman ought to submit to her husband as the church submits to christ and in this submission to her husband notice that paul says something striking he says that this submission is to be in everything that's that's a that's a big statement and this is hard to understand as i meditated on it because how does the church submit to christ well in ways that are impossible or not uh, plausible for a wife to submit to her husband the church should submit to jesus as lord and god listening obeying everything he says following every command he gives and loving him above all else so how does this analogy work then well clearly Clearly, logically, Paul cannot mean that it is a submission in the exact same way. But there is a correlation that is strong enough for Paul to make this comparison that he gives here. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given it. So how should wives submit to their husbands in everything as as the church submits to Christ? Well, here is how. Three ways, I think. Three R's for us. First, recognizing the authority that God has given your husband. He has been called by God to serve you and your family by leading you. Secondly, respect. Respecting your husband's leadership, even when it is weak and imperfect. And thirdly, reinforcing your husband's leadership by helping him grow and mature as a man, as a father, and as a husband. So recognizing that authority, respecting his leadership despite its flaws, and reinforcing him as a man, as the head of the household. You see, this does not mean that you do whatever your husband says, even when he is wrong. And it doesn't mean that your voice doesn't matter, by no means. You see, the man who does not seek or listen to the advice of the friend that knows him better than anybody else, that man is a fool. And so, too, the man who neglects the wisdom and counsel of his, of his wife, who is most committed to him and his well-being, is a fool. At the same time, we have to realize what this text is saying and recognize that male headship in the home is according to God's design. This is how he planned it, how he designed it. But it is not a domineering kind of headship or use of authority, which is what we're most used to with people who have authority and are corrupt with it. The authority that God gives to a husband in the home is meant to be used to seek the best interest of those that are under him, his wife and his children. Authority must never be used to exploit others for personal gain. And Jesus makes this very clear in Matthew 20, where he contrasts the two different uses of authority in the world, the world's use of authority and God's use of authority, where he says, You know that the rulers of the nations lord it over them. They lord their authority over their subjects, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself exemplified what it means and how, how, it, how it looks to use authority to serve others. So men, if you think that your male headship in the home means that your wife and children should wait on you hand and foot, You are sorely mistaken. You're completely wrong. You're acting more like Caesar than Jesus, more like Pontius Pilate than God the Father, and more like a thug than a man full of the Spirit of God. The authoritative headship that Jesus taught and exemplified is totally different than what we expect and see in the world. It looks like sacrificial service for others. It doesn't look like a man on his lazy boy throne making demands of his wife and kids. No. It looks like a man down on his knees washing the feet of those who are under his care, just as Jesus did. That's what godly authority and service to others looks like. So husbands, when you actually do lead as Christ leads the church, the effect of this is that it will result in your wife finding it far more easy to follow you and your lead with joy. And likewise, wives, when you follow the lead of your husbands with that submissive love, then your husband will feel all the more empowered to lead you better, to lead you as Christ leads the church. You see, the two, the two roles respectively, they, they go hand in hand together. They work in tandem together. And so that leads us to our third point, the sacrificial love that that Paul calls husbands to. And notice here that Paul spends more time addressing husbands than he does wives. And we can read it again. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but, oh, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So, at this point, if you have thought that submission to male headship is the hard part, well, you're wrong. Think again. It is hard, yes, no doubt about it. But husbands, I think here, are called to something even harder. Men must love their wives as Christ loved the church. In a sense, uh, with this teaching, Paul is inviting us to meditate on the gospel, to meditate on Christ's love for the church, to ponder how he loved the church and how it shapes our call to love our wives. And as I meditated on this high calling, I imagined the Apostle Paul, in his day, as he went from town to town uh, ministering to the different churches, uh, he probably counseled married men in those churches where he served. And I'm sure he probably did this on various occasions as he went, even as he says in in Acts 20, house to house preaching the gospel. And so I imagine I imagined him in in this encounter with the first century Christian man who perhaps approached him saying something like, Brother Paul, Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I need some help. Sure, my son, ask away. Well, I don't really love my wife anymore. She isn't the same, or maybe I'm not the same either. It just isn't working. I know our Lord calls calls us to love our wives, but I just can't see myself loving her anymore. To which I imagine the Apostle Paul would reply based on this passage here, Well, I see. I see you do need help. And let me show you. Remember our Lord Jesus as he hanged upon the cross, dying for you. And now you say, but I'm not attracted to her. Well, What if Jesus, let the thought of your ugly sins, dissuade him from dying for you? What if Jesus' commitment to you is based on how holy you are? If Jesus' love for you depended on how good, upright, and pure you are, he would never have loved you. Jesus loved you because he chose to love you despite your flaws. He stayed on the cross for you all the way to the end, to the very last minute, to the last second of his final breath escaping his lungs. He stayed for you. Now you say, but she doesn't listen to me or respect me at all. Well, do you always respect listen and obey the authority of Christ? I think not. And still Jesus stayed for you. So stay for your wife and love her to the end. But you say she annoys me by doing the same thing the wrong way over and over again. Well don't you ignore and neglect Jesus in the same ways day after day? And you say but I just want something different. Well remember God's everlasting commitment of love to you his love for you christian won't wane weaken or diminish a thousand years from now think of that even a billion years from now well into eternity not even a tiny little drop of his love for you will be gone it will still be there in its fullness The Father's love for you does not decrease on your bad days. The Son's love for you does not weaken when you say the wrong thing or mess up. The Holy Spirit's love for you does not hesitate or falter, even though He listens to all of your thoughts and knows your deepest desires. He is always with you, and He will never give up on you. So now go and love your wife to the end and never give up on her as christ did for you give yourself continuously for her in love sacrifice your pride sacrifice your big ego and your lust and die to yourself and live for christ by loving your wife that's how i imagine the apostle paul would have responded to someone bringing those kinds of complaints and questions to him and loved ones as we meditate on that love of god we realize that our salvation depends on the fact that Jesus did not allow any defect in his bride, the church, to dissuade him from loving her to the end. And so too, husbands, do not let any defect dissuade you from loving your wife. And also as a side note here, for those of you who might be single, Christians do not let Any defect in the church itself dissuades you from loving her. Do you think that your love is more precious than Jesus' love? Do you act like your love needs to be won by the church? I find that too often Christians expect the church to rise to their own personal expectations and demands and preferences before they give their love to the church. He loved us with all of our imperfections. Don't think yourself better than Jesus. If you love Jesus, you will love his bride, the church, despite her flaws and defects. Don't let her defects, defects dissuade you from loving the church. Even as we considered on Friday night, it was, in a sense, the defects of his bribe, bride that moved him in compassion towards her. When Jesus saw people suffering poor and broken he didn't run away he ran towards them his love for his bride grows to match her needs his grace increases always to surpass her sins, so that his grace is always greater as sin abounds so his grace abounds all the more. Up until this point, we've considered the call to love our wives with sacrificial love, but practically, what does that really look like? How should husbands lead with sacrificial love? Well, Paul, he tells us some practical things here by referring to how Christ gave himself up for the church to make her holy in the cleansing, with the washing of water through the word, to present her right radiant, beautiful, spotless, blameless, holy, And so we find from that that husbands are to lead their wives with the word of God. With God's word. Not by their own selfish whims and wishes, but by God's word. Also, a husband is to lead his wife with this specific goal in mind. The refining of her. The perfecting of her inner beauty that will one day be reflected in her outer resurrected beauty and glory. And how? How do we do that? Well, by washing her with the word of the gospel, by encouraging her with the word of the gospel, by sharing with her the word of the gospel, by instructing her and showing her what you're learning so that she accompanies you as you seek to know and understand greater the love of God. And then Paul here, he adds another layer to this by using the metaphor of the body. As you love your bodies, so love your spouse. Jesus loves the church and cares for her because he has made the church part of his own body. This is mysterious. It's profound. He has become one flesh with the church. And so the care and leadership that Jesus gives to the church now is mysteriously the care and leadership that he's giving to his own body. Just think on that a bit. The idea here is that nobody in their right state of mind does harm to their own body, right? It's a natural assumption, We think about it, we spend so many hours each day, all of you, I'm sure, preserving and perfecting your body, tending to the pains of your body, making sure that your body feels good and looks good, whether that's good enough to to go to a fancy restaurant or good enough to go through the drive through at Chick-fil-A. We are always caring for and protecting and preserving our bodies all day long. Each of us are loving our bodies, choosing to serve our bodies with good intentions. And so too, married men, you have become one flesh with your wife when you married her. She is your body in that sense. And so treat her at least with the same attentive care that you give to your own body because spiritually she has become part of you, one flesh with you. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says that her body is yours and your body is hers. And so love her with that attentive care, seeking to perfect and protect her in Christ as you would your own body. And again, we can just meditate on that a little bit more. Do you, do you protect your body from fatty foods? From toxins? Or gluten by chance? Right? Well, so to protect your wife from false truths and from gossip. Protect her. Do you per- perfect your body by dieting and exercising and lifting weights? Well, so too perfect your body, your wife, by praying for her and with her and teaching her what you're learning from God's word and being present to lead her through life in the good times and the bad times. This is the high calling that God has given us as men to love our wives. Comparison with the love of Christ. As I was meditating on this this week, there was a sense, there's a part of me that was holding back. Right? Who can love in this way? This is is a huge and high calling. Where does one find strength and power to fulfill this high calling? Well, we alone can't do this. None of us can. But we aren't alone. United to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and strengthens us. As Paul says in Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit who has poured his love into our hearts. And this is where we get the power to fulfill these things from. The gospel itself from God himself through the Holy Spirit. And in his excellent book on marriage, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, I highly recommend it to you all. He writes this in the chapter, The Power of Marriage. He says, Fortified with the love of God in your soul, you likewise can now give yourself in loving service to your spouse see it's fortified by god's love for you that strengthens you and empowers you to love your spouse and that's why the gospel is not only the model for marriage but it is also the motivating power to fulfill what god has called us to and so we can finish now by fortifying our hearts with the final meditation on the undying love of christ for us we can't meditate enough on his love In Jesus, we see love and commitment glowing with goodness. In eternity past, God the Father picked from among the nations those whom he wanted to collectively be the bride for his son, the church, right? And when the son saw her in eternity past, we can imagine that he said, I will marry her. I will love her to the end. I do. And we know from scripture that even before his coming, the son was committed wholeheartedly to his bride. And when he came, Christ's love was singularly devoted to his bride, the church. He came and sought her, his sheep that he knows by name. She alone was on his heart. Christ's love for her was indestructible. Nothing could make a dent in his love for his bride. Not the slanders or sneers of men, not the disrespect of the world, not the betrayal and abandonment by his closest friends, not the false accusations and unjust condemnation, not the spit upon his face, not the mocking of the Roman soldiers, not the lashes upon his back, not even the heavy wooden cross or the nails in his hands and feet, and not even, perhaps the worst of all, not even her glaring and obvious flaw could dissuade him from loving her. From the dawning of our human nature to his dying breath in it, the Son of God never let anything get in the way of his love for us. Christian, Christ came cradle to the grave. Think of that. Cradle to the grave for you. He came womb to the tomb for you. He came conception to the cross for you. And Jesus came in love to redeem and renew us so that now, fortified by his love, we can actually love each other more and more in these ways. And, loved ones, there is a beautiful potential in every marriage, whether you are in a stable or a broken marriage today. There is a powerful opportunity there for you and your spouse. What is it? To be a living picture of the gospel. To show the world by your undying love to your spouse how Christ never gave up on his bride. To show people that God's grace is sufficient to reconcile and restore sinners and even broken marriages. So all you need to do is believe that God's love is greater and more powerful than our brokenness and our bitterness and our fears. Do you believe in the power of His love? He is able. Trust in Him and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we rejoice as we meditate and ponder Your great love for us that no defects, no flaw in us dissuaded you from loving us to the end and there is nothing now that we can do to hinder or take away your love for us it is full it is final it is forever and so we look to you O jesus joy of loving hearts with thanks and we thank you that not only is your love for us a model for how we ought to love one another but it is also that motivating power And so fortify our hearts by your great love for us so that we might in turn love one another as we have heard from your word. This we ask with confidence and trust and love for you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, loved ones, let's stand and sing a song of response and application.